Good morning, Rez. Good morning. Thank you for coming out on this beautiful July the 4th weekend. And once a year, you hang that flag in your sanctuary. And uh, we are grateful today. You know, as a pastor, I can walk up here with my Bible in my hand. I don't have to fear for the freedom of being able to preach from God's Word. And so I'm thankful for that today. And I think it would be really cool. Let's just honor those who have served us or currently serving us. Will you just stand and let us thank you for providing much of this freedom for us. Thank you today for that. It's awesome. Thank you. Bless you. I have to say, though, as, I, as I'm sitting there and we're singing that song, Jesus, Jesus, I was thinking about how many people, maybe even here this morning, but also around our nation, you know, we're having a celebration of freedom this week, but they are still trapped. Trapped by sins, by things in their life, um, trapped by a relationship that's unhealthy, trapped by something that they're hiding, trapped by. And so, we, you know, celebrating all weekend long and yet feeling trapped. And I'm telling you, it's what we just said. Jesus makes the darkness tremble. And that's just not a cliche little phrase. Whatever you have in your life today, if you have darkness, if you're hurting, if you're hurting within, Jesus came for you. I mean, the Bible says he came for the brokenhearted. He came for those who are struggling in life. And all you have to have is a contrite spirit, a, a willingness to say, Jesus, I need your freedom. Forget about the national freedom I have. I need the freedom of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that's something you will experience this morning as you listen to God's word. I, I have the privilege of preaching from God's word this morning. And this message that I'm gonna preach today is hard for me to live out too. So just because we preachers stand up on stage and talk doesn't mean we have it all figured out. I don't have it figured out. And I'm gonna talk about a topic today that in our nation and in our world, um, it gets a lot of mocking. Like I thought to myself, I'm going to talk to you today about marriage, okay? And I realize many of you are not married. No problem. This message will fit you. You say, how will it fit me? I want you just to capture the concept of marriage. Just like we talk about the concept of freedom. I want you to capture the concept of marriage. And one of the things I believe we need in our nation today is just more direct teaching from God's word. Not my opinion, not what I think is right. But what does God's word say about marriage? And that's what you're going to get today, okay? You're going to get a good dose of that. So what I did in preparation for this was I imagined that I was marriage, okay? So I'm, a trans, I'm not Dan C. anymore. I became, sitting in my office, I'm marriage. And here's what I thought. How do I feel about myself? If I look around our society and our world, how do I feel about myself? And here's what I felt. I felt really beat up. I mean, I'm just married. All I am is marriage, but people are trying to redefine me. They're trying to say, you don't really need me. They're trying to say, I've had a bad one and I don't ever want another one of you. And marriage itself did nothing wrong. Marriage is just a concept that we have tried to manipulate and change. And I want to take a moment and talk about this for a second because some of you are in a difficult marriage and it makes it uncomfortable to talk about. Some of you have been divorced one, two, or three times and just the word can bring about some anxiety in you. Uh, I watched this morning a, 
I was here early and I sat in the parking lot and I watched a single mom. Uh, I'm assuming she was single. Maybe her husband's working this morning or chose to stay home. I'm not sure. But I'm sure in, 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 a, in a fellowship in church this size, there were plenty of single moms walking in with children. And I was thinking, man, when I say the word marriage this morning, what's that young lady going to feel? Is it, is it going to be hard for her? Because I got to tell you, I don't ever want my sermons to be a burden to anyone in terms of having to hear it. I want there to be freedom after you've heard it to realize God can help you in the very spot you're in, no matter how dark it may feel. And we come to church for hope. And our hope is in Jesus. <laughs> that was half applause. But, you know, we, we're all dealing with something. Before first service, Pastor Bernie was praying for him, and he prayed, Lord, you know, there's going to be a family walking in today whose teen didn't come home last night. They're tired. Help something, Dan says, they, to connect with him. And he's so right on, man. We all come from different places. Yesterday I did the funeral of one of my dearest friends, laid him to rest. Yesterday his body to rest, his spirit's with the Lord. He's looking down, watching me from heaven. So we all come from different moments in life, and I'm going to simply say to you, as I talk about marriage, I'm going to take you back to when I was 10, so my dad wasn't a very good dad. I've talked about this. We're healed. It's all good. It's all good. I'm just trying to say to you, when I was 10 and I heard messages on marriage, I would sit up in the pew a little bit and think, man, I hope dad's listening. I did. I would sit up and go, oh, boy, dad, listen, because he was a song leader and stuff. But I wanted him to get that, that marriage could be better than his was because he was abusive. Now, when I say abusive, I mean physically. And I'm going to, at risk, take a moment here at the beginning of the service and talk about something that, that will be heard by a thousand different ears, 2,000 ears, actually, if there's a thousand of us here. And it will be heard many different ways. So I'm going to try to say it correctly. Um, when we would have those messages and dad would be sitting in the seat and I would be listening to the preacher preach and I would think in my little 10-year-old mind, I hope dad's listening. And what usually happened, what usually happened was after a really good marriage sermon, something on marriage, we would go home and he would heighten. He would be even worse abusive than he had been in the past. And as a little kid, I, I could, could see when you're 10, you don't get adult concepts. And I, I didn't understand why he was that way. But looking back, I get why. Because that preacher, as he had preached, had probably made some anxiety happen inside my dad. Because my dad knew he wasn't living the way he should be living. And so how did that come out? It didn't come out in love. It came out in frustration when we got home. So I'm going to take a moment. And it obviously can be the other way. I know there are ladies who abuse their husbands. I want to speak for a moment, especially to men. Ladies, you may listen in if you struggle with this. I really want to say to you, and this is going to be surprising what I say next. You men here, ladies maybe, but men, listen to me. I came here today because I really do love you. I'm not mad at you right now. In fact, the fact that you're at church right now shows me deep down inside you, you don't want to be that way. You wish you weren't that way. You don't even know how sometimes to deal with it. I may not be nailing it 100% on the head, but I look back, my dad, now that he's older and we, we dealt with it, he didn't want to be that man. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to go. And so I want to say to you today, I'm going to do something at high risk here today. I did it first service, so I'm going to do it here. 
I'm guessing when I finish the service and say, all you men in that category, please come to the altar. No chance. I, I get it. I get it. Okay. Guy's not going to go, yeah, I'm an abuser. I mean, you're not going to walk up here. I'm with you. I wouldn't either. But I'm going to do this. You see, there's several security guys that kind of guard me after service, and I appreciate that protection. But <laughs> not from you, but I, I want you to know that today, as you, if you don't mind, if you see one of them somewhere else around, you see one of the guys who are security, write your name on a piece of, phone, on a piece of paper with your phone number. I'll call you. I won't call you to embarrass you. I'll call you because I'll go, hey, you're a pretty strong man if you're willing to give me your phone number and let me call you and talk to you about this. Because I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm not a counselor. I'm going to get you eventually to a counselor, but I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. I want you to know that there are people who care about you. And I want you to know Jesus really does love you. And he can make your darkness tremble. But some of you need help. And, and I, I used to be the 10-year-old sitting in the seat maybe beside you right now. And I would be praying that my dad would do that. So just think about it. No pressure. I'm not telling you what you have to do because we live in a free country. But you don't have freedom in your life. And I'm trying to help you find it. So I pray the Lord will help. Uh, I've, got, I've got some pieces of paper in my pocket already from first service. I'll be calling these numbers. And so I'm going to call you. If you give me your number, I'll try to help you. <laughs> Pastor Bernie, same thing. He, he's just like me. We're regular people trying to help you. So please let us do that. And then be willing to listen for the next few moments about what marriage is because this is not easy for me to do either. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, Dan, you don't understand. Yes, I do. And I'm going to tell you, how much I understand because when I was a kid and I heard these verses from Ephesians chapter 5 I didn't get them either because I usually heard my dad quote the first part of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 wives submit to your husbands that's the first, that's the only part dad would read pretty convenient and and wives you know when you see that first little bit some of you the hair on the back of your neck stands up and then I thought to myself well hopefully they don't have hair on the back of their neck but if you do if you do, it kind of stands up because you're like, uh-uh. I mean, when a wife hears, wife, submit to your husband, your first thought is, uh-uh. Let's talk about him first. And I want you to know that in the original Greek, it doesn't say this way. Wives, submit to your husband. It says, wives, you get to submit to your... It, it's like, it's a privilege. That is the whole new level. But the reason, wives, that the scripture teaches, again, I'm just teaching the concept of marriage. The reason you want to submit to him, the reason you get to submit to him is because, watch this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You show me a man who's willing to die to self, who's willing to give in, who's willing to think he ain't all that, and a woman will go, I like that man. Because women are looking for men who are like Jesus. And I'm just telling you from a personal testimony, this is challenging for me. It continues to talk about what husbands are due for their wife. And then it gets down to this point, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's what marriage is, one flesh. Watch this. 
This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Look at that phrase. This is a profound mystery. I got to tell you, when I first read that, I was like, shoot, I don't even get basic mysteries. I got no chance at profound mysteries. You ever watch a show and you're watching with somebody and they've already figured out the ending and you're going, I don't even know the name of the show. I mean, it's like, I don't even get it. So when I was sitting that day studying this, I was like, Lord, you got to show me. What does that mean? It's a profound mystery. And I got to show you a little illustration the Lord gave into my mind. And it's so simple. It's so simple. It's silly, but it'll make sense to you. So I got married like 36 years ago, and for 21 years, the first 21 years of my life, to make this illustration, I lived blue. I lived in Six Mile, South Carolina. I grew up blue. I grew up on a farm, helped my grandpa, helped my dad. I, I was blue boy. I did blue things. I went to blue elementary school. I went to blue middle school. I went to blue high school. I grew up blue. I got to college, and I had lived for 21 years blue. In other words, me, the way I am, what made me and shaped me, I was blue. Jane, however, was a yellow girl. She grew up in Hamlet, North Carolina. She went to Hamlet Elementary School, Hamlet Middle School, Hamlet High School, and she was yellow the whole time. This is who she was. Her mom was a single mom. She grew up in a single mom home, a yellow life. That's all she ever knew till she got to college and she met Blue Boy. <laughs> yellow girl fell in love with Blue Boy. And here we were. After 22, because she got married at 22, I was 21. I needed a little bit of an older woman. And so I married this woman a little older than me. And we got to our wedding day. And my brother did the wedding. And according to God's word, this is not my concept. I'm trying to show you what the Lord showed me that day about a profound mystery. Blue boy and yellow girl stood in front of a bunch of people and according to God's word, when my brother said, according to the powers of the state of South Carolina and God's word, I now pronounce that Dan and Jane are husband and wife. I pronounce that the two have become one. So blue and yellow became green. Don't even mess with Michigan, Michigan State, but that's what happened. Blue and yellow became green. <laughs> so here we are. And according to God's word, this is what happened to Dan and Jane. I know that there are probably scientists here who can explain this to me. You would say, well, Dan, the blue molecular structure. With you, know, you can do all that. I get it. I get it. I'm just telling you, blue and yellow just became green. And for me, that's a mystery. I don't get how two colors become one, but I just saw it. And I want you to see this. This is called an irreversible process. I can't now take green and go, I don't want to be green anymore. Pour me back into blue. Can't do it. It's done. It's over. It's happened. <laughs> and here we are. We are. That's a good line. We are green. You need to travel with me. But this is what it is. It's green. I want to just real quick show you something else that won't be the rest of the message, but I don't want to miss it. Some of you have gone into a second, third, or a fourth marriage. I want you to understand, you take this green and you mix it now with another color and it becomes a new color. It's why we call it blended families. 
and it's part of the deal. You don't go back to blue and yellow. That's just the way it is. And it's nothing to fight or be upset about. You need to accept it. When you accept it and understand there will be children issues, there will be relationship issues, there will be other issues that you have to deal with, it's part of life. And I want you to get the concept of the oneness that happens. But here's the problem. Here is the problem. Most of us aren't willing to pour all of ourselves out. Here's what we do. We keep back enough blue and yellow so that when we need to, we can clash with each other. So sometimes, though, when I come to church, I come to church and you see me and Jane and you go, oh, you guys married? Uh Uh-huh. Are y'all one? Yep. Are y'all sweet to each other? Shoot yeah, we held hands during the worship. We get along fine at church, but sometimes when we get home, blue boy comes out. And I splash my color on her. And I say things that aren't helpful. And I do things that don't blend us. And I come back to church, I'm good. And that's what I grew up watching. I grew up watching a dad who was blue at home. We got to church. Well, no, we're fine. We're good. And I want to show you what marriage is supposed to be. And if you're in a relationship right now here today, okay, and you're single and you're not married yet, watch. Because in a marriage, for it to work correctly, both of you, watch this, both of you have to pour yourselves completely. Jane can't pour herself completely out and go, oh, no, we're one. She can be totally empty and serving, but if I'm not willing to go all in, we're going to have issues. And in marriage, Dan and Jane have to completely pour themselves out, watch this, so that nothing is about self. This is hard. We are not born pouring ourselves out. We are born the other way. I have a two-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Naya. She's been at my house this weekend. I do not have to say to her, Naya, please be selfish. (laughs) It's just there. She comes into my house and in her mind, it's her house. And this phone, this isn't my phone. In her mind, it's her phone. Papa, give me my phone. You don't have a phone, baby. Yeah, I do. It's in your pocket. It's her phone. Why? Because she wants what she wants when she wants it. And if she doesn't get what she wants, ah, I know. I heard it. And then some of us turn 40. And we've never stopped. And we still spend our lives saying to everybody, gimme, gimme, gimme. And I'm telling you, in relationships, it doesn't work. And Jesus is teaching us in this word, if you want your marriage to rock and roll, if you want to have a healthy relationship, learn to empty yourself. This is pretty easy to see, much more difficult to do. Because we don't naturally walk around thinking, how could I give in more? 
boy, I bet I'm part of the problem here. Hey, I'm only 1% of the problem, but I need to just serve more. And I want you to understand the reason we sing, Jesus, Jesus, he makes the darkness tremble. The reason we sing that is because he came and he emptied himself first. He poured himself out. I know Pastor Bernie taught on this here during the Easter season. Jesus was not killed. Jesus poured himself out. He, submit, he chose to submit his life. There's, I want y'all to hear this because it's a huge, such a huge concept. There's a difference between being killed and choosing to lay down your life. And we as people, as followers of Christ, we can't think of, well, if I have to give in, that just kills me. That's what if I have to give in, it kills me. Not if you choose to lay it down. Not if you choose to say, I just need to keep emptying myself. And I want to tell you, this is hard. I'm not standing up here going, hey, y'all, just go out of here and practice. It'll be so easy. No way. No way. Some of you right now sitting here and you're married. And you know what it would mean to totally pour yourself out on an issue. And I'm saying to you, you need to do it. You're here and you're in a dating relationship. You're considering moving forward. You make sure the person that you're moving in that relationship with, hey, look at me. If the other person is going to be all about themselves and you're going to be all about poured out, it's not going to work. You both have to be willing to surrender. And that's not the way our culture works. Here's what I notice about most of us. Some people are really stubborn and can't give in at all. But in general, most people, if, the, if, if they're exposed and they're shown that they're wrong about an issue, in your relationships, for example, uh, it's obvious that the one person's wrong, usually the wrong person will go, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I see it, I see it now. I ask you to forgive me, I, I see what you're saying. We don't usually have a problem surrendering when we know we're wrong. But we do have a problem surrendering when we think we're right. When I think I'm right, ooh, I don't know. I don't think this is, you ever said this right? This ain't my issue. So what I've been learning, I got to tell you, in my marriage, I've been learning to see, can I submit and pour myself out even when I think or know that I'm right? This is the next level that I need to get to. In our marriage relationship, me and Jane, um, I would tell you that, you know, 90 plus percent of the time, she's right. She's a slower thinker than me in terms of getting somewhere, in terms of trying to make her point. I'm much quicker. I talk a lot. She doesn't talk as much. And so, you know, I'll always do rush ahead, rush ahead, and she'll think it out, weigh it out. So usually she's right. And when she's right, I'm really quick to go, babe, I, I see what you're saying, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm quick to admit that. But in that little, you know, 2 or 3% where I think I'm right, it's kind of like, baby, I got to camp on this. This is good. I know I'm right on this issue, and I am not going to let it go because I don't get this chance many times. <laughs> so I want to flesh this out for you. This happened for us. 
on a plane recently. We were flying wherever I was going to speak. We traveled together. We were in the hub airport, meaning we had to go, you know, Grand Rapids, you guys, Detroit, Atlanta, usually somewhere else. And so we were in that particular airport getting ready for our next flight. And we got into a disagreement. I don't even remember now what it was about. That's why it's not even important. But we got into a disagreement. And we're walking down the tarmac or whatever, that little hall, you know, where you get on the plane. And, and I'm, I'm trying to talk to her. There's people around saying, baby, baby, you don't, you don't know everything. If you knew this one little thing, if you just listen to me a second, once you are exposed to what really happened, you're going to be like, oh, you're right. I see what you're saying. But she didn't hear that. So we get on the plane and we sit down on the plane and, and we're in like row 11 or 12, I don't know. And I, I had the window seat, she had the middle seat and the third seat beside us was a gentleman, executive looking guy in a suit and stuff, really nice looking gentleman. He sits down by her and I said to her, babe, if you just listen for a second, I wanna, I, I can make, I'm right. And if you'll just listen to what I'm saying, it'll be all good. And she said, she, you gotta understand personality difference. I don't mind talking in front of people. If we had an issue this morning, I could bring her up here on mics and discuss it. I just don't care what people think because I'm talking to her about it. She, uh-uh, let's go in the back hallway, private room, extra private room and get in there. Then you can bring it up. So we just deal with things different ways. It's called marriage. And so we're sitting on the plane and I softly said, hey, if I could just, if you could just listen. And she just said, Dan, the guy next to me, he can hear you talking. And so I leaned around and said, hey, what's up, man? I'm Dan. Nice to meet you. And then I said to her, okay, he's good now. He knows we're here so we can talk about it. And she said, if you don't stop talking, this isn't going to go in your favor. And I said, okay, I said, but can, can I, all right, let's do this. I'll text you. I'll text you and I'll prove what I'm, put your phone away, okay? And inside, I'm getting very frustrated. Any of you sitting here today and you've been in a relationship, have you ever been really frustrated inside? Like you don't get it. And I'm sitting there and I'm frustrated. And she said, don't talk about it anymore. I said, Jane, she pulled a book out. She put her head down. I said, I told you not to talk about it anymore. I'm like, Jane, it'll take me literally 30 seconds. Stop. So I got irritated and I went, okay, fine. Then we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> it's not we, it's me. So I said, we're not going to talk about it. I got in my seat. The plane took off. We're flying up. I you know, we got to the place where you can put your seat back, you know, those flights. So I pushed that little button and I went back a quarter inch. That's about all it goes back. And shoved my seat back and then they came by with food no thank you I don't want your little nuts today you know I, I'm frustrated bring me that little bag of nuts with three nuts in it it's ridiculous in it your nuts are ridiculous anyway get a bigger bag we might talk I'm angry and Jane's like you're really showing yourself good I like to And we get on that flight, we get up to 30,000 feet. I guess maybe I got closer to the Lord. I'm not sure, but he began to talk to me. And I'm sitting on that plane so angry I could bite a nail in half. And I felt like the Lord said, hey, Dan, psst, hey, 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 picture boy. I want you to let it go. What, what, what do you mean, Lord? I want you right now to see if you can practice what you preach. 
you talk about surrendering, even when you know you are right, which is what I did on the cross, Dan. Dan, do you remember when I was hanging on the cross? You remember at one point in my sacrificial surrender and death for you, at one point, a guy yelled up at me, hey, you've saved everybody else. Can you save yourself? Someone yelled that at Jesus. Do you, do you guys understand that Jesus was hanging on the cross with a nail right there? Do you understand he could have unhooked it and turned this into a laser and went, which I think would be a cool story. I mean, if that was in the Bible, it'd be like lasers. Hey, they showed up in the first part of Matthew. You know, I mean, it's amazing. But he kept it on the cross. In fact, watch this. He kept it on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. I am right. I am the Savior of the world. And I could take them out right now. I could take them out. I could, I could blow them up right now. But I'm right. And I still choose to surrender. So, Dan, you can give in to Jane right here. And furthermore, Dan, this is what I felt the Lord kind of saying to me. And furthermore, when you get off the plane and you get into a private place where she can actually talk to you, don't bring it up. So you mean like, like just let it, I'm, I'm, you know I'm right. You know I got my 2% shot here. You know I'm right. And you're telling me, pour it out. Uh-huh. Like, like, just let it go. Uh-huh. Like, just gone. Mm. Okay, Lord, I'm going to try it. So I remember sitting on the plane saying, Lord, I got to let this go. Uh, you're laying it on my heart to let it go. And if I'm going to obey your word, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let yourself die. And I prayed. And I remember changing my spirit. I don't know if Jane can remember me. I changed my spirit. And I said, hey, babe, when we get off the plane, we got to go get this. You know, started talking normal again. Like, good to see you. Nice dress. I mean, whatever I needed to say. <laughs> we got off the plane. We went down. We got the luggage. I was really supportive of her. I was like, babe, let me get the luggage. All that stuff. Got, got her in the car. Opened the door. Got her in the car. Driving her in the car. We got to drive 45 minutes. It's nighttime now. We're driving in the dark. No one's talking. And we got 45 minutes on the way to our destination. And she says... Babe, I could tell um, in, the, in the plane there, I could tell that you had something you wanted me to know. And it, it sounded like if I knew it, then, then uh, you know, I would, I would see that you were right about that issue. So tell me what that was. <sighs> like, Lord, I, I didn't bring it up. She asked. She asked. <laughs> She's asking. And I just felt, I just kind of, I didn't hear anything, but I felt this. Uh-uh. <laughs> Uh-uh, don't you go there. And I said, actually, babe, um, it's no big deal. I don't even want to talk about it. She goes, what? I said, ah, it's not even a big deal. I don't even want to talk about it. And, of course, I'm turning my head going, I really do. But I just <laughs> couldn't say it. And then, what, get ready. Right now, the next statement is going to show you something about me. See if y'all can relate to this. She said to me, so let me get this right. You're not even going to bring it up in a couple of days? We're pretty good at letting stuff go until we want to bring it up, aren't we? 
Uh, I, I would remind you, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. I'm telling you, this concept I'm trying to show you is hard. And I remember we went on. I don't even remember what the issue was. We're fine now. If you break, go up and ask her about it. But we don't even remember what the issue was. And guess what? It's no big deal. And I'm fine. And we're better off because I zipped it. <laughs> but let me show you what happens if you don't do this. If you leave here today and you say, I'm not sure God's word's really my foundation for teaching. See, this, this, I, I'm telling you guys, I'm not teaching you my opinion. This stuff that God left for his 7 billion now children on this earth, he know in heaven, he thought, I got to give them something or they were really messed up. But I want them to know freedom. I want them to know that when they say the name Jesus, the darkness will tremble. So I'm going to give them some guidance and they can choose to live that way if they want to. It's their free choice. If you don't decide to live this way in your relationships, I want to show you what will happen. So I have this distant relative. I'm not going to say the name. I'm going to protect them. And I want to show you right now. A picture of their house is coming up on the screen. This is one of my relatives. She's older. When I was a little boy. I used to go to this house. The door was right over on the right side there. You can barely see a little bit of the sidewalk. I would go in. There's a little door there. And, and this, I almost said her name. I got to protect the family. You can see there's a big C last name on their awnings. But anyway, I um, would go there as a little boy. And when I would go in, she was a really meticulous woman. Nothing wrong with that. She was really meticulous. And so she'd say, Danny, take your shoes off. I always took my shoes off. But over the years, she got a little more meticulous and nobody could get her to see that she was going overboard. She began to think about herself more and what she wanted. Her husband would try to talk to her about, hey, baby, you're overdoing it. So she began to put plastic in her house. She put plastic runners down all the halls. And when I would go as I got a little older, she'd say, Danny, you can come in, but you have to stay on all the plastic runners. And I finally said, I'm not going over there. It's just too hard. She began to cover up her furniture. She began to cover up everything in her house. She began to tell her husband, you can't sit there. You can't go there. And he would say to her, no, no, but she was so self and what she wanted that eventually, I'm just telling you all the truth. The husband who lived in this house, he didn't divorce her, but do you see on the far right over there, there's a little garage, zoom in on it, if you will. This is the picture of the garage. There's the house to the left, there's the little garage. This dude, her husband, moved in there because he couldn't live by her little silly guidelines anymore. He couldn't touch anything. So he moved in the garage. He put in there a washer and a dryer. He put a little bed in there. He put a refrigerator in there. He moved in there and lived the rest of his life in the garage. She liked the way it kept the house so neat and clean that she moved in with him. So my cousins lived in the garage and they had that big, beautiful house. And for me, that house right there was a mansion growing up. The mansion sat empty and they, look, they got two chairs outside the garage. <laughs> and they finished their life in the garage and the house is covered in plastic. You think if you had gone to him your wedding day and said, hey, y'all going to have a really nice house, but you ain't going to live it. It's going to be covered in plastic. <laughs> They'd have said, no way. 
And it all came from self. She wanted it her way all the time. But she got it. And I would tell you, finishing life looking very foolish. And if you're here today and you want to live your way all the time, you're going to finish your life looking foolish. Jesus finished his life looking like he was and is the Savior of the world because he totally, hey, there's a reason we come sing his name because it's hard to pour yourself all the way out. And he did it to a point of death. And in your friendships and in your relationships that are building and growing and in your marriages today, I'm asking you to consider what the concept of marriage is supposed to be. A man completely poured out, a woman completely poured out. Now, don't get me wrong. I had issues on the plane just a few weeks ago. But I'm going to keep trying to pour Dan out because I know if I do, it's best for us. I don't get to decide what Jane gets to do. I get to decide what I get to do. And I'm asking you today, are you surrendered? Do you really have freedom? Or is your freedom bound by your own self? Father God, I pause to close this message asking that you would humble our hearts. If we added it all up, there's a lot of selfish in this room, a lot of blue and a lot of yellow. And I pray we would pour ourselves out. Right now, if there's one here who has never poured their life out for Jesus Christ, I pray they would submit it to you. You died for them, and now, Lord, they have the opportunity to respond by saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Accept me as your child. Help me to leave this place today surrendering and surrendered to the name of Christ. I pray marriages today would be encouraged. Relationships today would decide to go your way. Surrendered, green, holier. Help us to take these thoughts. You apply them, Lord, to our life. Thank you for letting us hang out together for a little while. I pray your spirit is what people will have heard. Help us to continue to live in such a way that we make the darkness tremble. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Thank you for listening.